All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It arms Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. My name is David Quadrelli. We have just wrapped up, well, I guess you could call it the first week of training camp. Still got a scrimmage to go tomorrow night, recording this on Friday evening with my co-host, Chris Faber. Chris, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Zephyr Epic is obviously the home for for trading cards and sports cards and all that, but I'm curious, uh, since I have to go get one here for Valentine's Day, Where's the best place to buy a Valentine's Day card? Go to Carlton Cards. That was the place I always used to go to. That was the best place for any card. Like, birthday card. I don't really go get cards much anymore. Like, even for, like, Christmas. I don't... Even for birthdays. I don't know. When I was, like, a kid and had to buy cards for a lot of people, you know, if you're going to a birthday party or whatever, Carlton Cards was always my go-to. But I don't... I don't buy a lot of cards for people nowadays. I really don't. I've been I've been hearing about winners. Apparently, winners in home sense is the spot for like really cool cards. I guess what really I see. I I so like going to winners. There's one by my barber shop, so I always go to winners whenever whenever I get a haircut or whenever my brother's getting one. I always pop into winners. I have never seen cards there. Are you sure? Apparently, yeah. Apparently, it's like at the start when you walk, or like no, it's like when you go to pay. You know how the lineups kind of like go through and they have all those things like little knickknacks for you to buy. Apparently, it's right around there. Like weird snacks they have that's where they have all yeah, the yeah. like no the weird name brand uh chips and stuff it's like yo yeah okay let me say for a second though i don't think i have it around here but i'm pretty sure it's a chip from new brunswick it's called something bridge 
Uh, maybe somebody knows what I'm talking about is listening to this, but it's a salt and vinegar chip. It was the best salt and vinegar chip I've ever had. Like I like, like I like salt and vinegar chips, but I need to have my lemonade with it. Like I'll tell you right now, I'm a big, big supporter of things that like taste better when you mix them with something else. And like lemonade and salt and vinegar chips together when you're eating it and drinking it together, it's like a hard combo to beat. Um, so I think it's called covered bridge. I think it's covered bridge. Uh, chips and they're at winners and i picked them up the best salt and vinegar vinegar chips i've probably ever had that name sounds right to be a be in the winners uh checkout line that sounds like a name <laughs> brand that they would have in the checkout line at winners but we're not going to talk about chips the whole time this is the canucks could, conversation hey, if i know we, we, want, could. we could that's Wait, a good sorry. off-season episode I have like to, a full I have to off-season episode yeah salt and vinegar chips miss vicky's is the best right well, that's what that's what I thought until what I was gonna say was like those those covered bridge or whatever they're called, like they were just they were very similar chip to the Miss Vicky's chips, but I just think the crunch was just like a little bit of a better crunch. You know, it wasn't all about the crunch; it was about the the second bite after you crunch into the chips. Like it was a really good chip, man. I, I'm gonna go back to Winners, pick up a card, pick up some salt and vinegar chips. Uh, you know, I already got the lemonade on deck. I got about 15 liters in the house right now. <laughs> Just, just sitting here. I like right beside me. I, I can see eight liters right there. Um, so yeah, I'll get that set up going, and uh, I'll have to bring that onto the mic when we're playing Warzone one night. Just oh. munching away on uh, on salt and vinegar chips. Oh man, my you know what my favorite chip is, and I know it, it's kind of a cheap out, but the Munchies mix, the one with like, yep. the Doritos, no, the Sun Chips. That's like my favorite. I can't eat a full bag of pretzels, and I can't eat a full bag of Doritos, and I don't like to eat a full bag of hard Cheetos. But all together. Right. Man, those are the best, and the best chip in there. It's it's hard for me to pick one, but like I really used to go for the Cheetos a lot. Now I really yeah. like the Sun Chips. I think those are in the running for the best in that bag. But I, I I'm a pretzel guy too. Like I like pretzels. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I get down with all that. Like one time I was at a bachelor party, uh, and the we were on like a three night houseboat trip. Uh, day one included a hell of a lot of Mike's hard lemonades. Like I'm not even not even saying that because they're a sponsor of the show, but like th- this is when the blue freeze was like fresh, uh, and we were crushing on the first night. And the second day, I woke up and I was like, man, there's no chance of of getting after it a second day after the damage we just did on the first night. Uh, and then came out the Costco bag of munchies, and it just saved like every single person on the houseboat. Like we dieseled that thing down in probably like six to ten minutes, like a full <laughs> Costco bag between like four or five guys and we we're buzzing after that you know you punch in a coffee you have the munchy mix and that's a hangover a little contraption right there to get you right back on your feet wow good to know i was having a blue freeze last night but we're not going to talk about blue freeze just yet because uh we'll, we'll get to that when we get to the sponsors part of the show but i do want to talk about the canucks chris that's kind of why we're here i don't know if you remember <laughs> that but uh we've just wrapped up i guess you could call it the first week like it's friday evening i would say the first We've, we've passed the halfway point, right? Like, it ends on Tuesday, and they're going to be traveling to, t- to Edmonton on Tuesday after a morning skate. So, we're past the halfway point. I think it's safe to say we've wrapped up the first week. What are your first impressions? Honestly, I thought the chips and the media... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I just... Yeah, a lot to break down, and I really think that a lot came to fruition today in the first day that I had to miss because of class, unfortunately. But you were there today, and you got to see a first practice of what looks like pretty close to the 23-man roster as you're going to get. Aside from Travis Hamannick not being here yet, I really think that the lines that we saw are going to be something very similar to what we see on opening night. Oh, absolutely. So... Just to break it down for people, like on day one of training camp, Travis Green was asked if we can read more into the lineups, and he said yes, and that's very rare to hear from Travis Green, like he rarely says that, but it was funny how he answered, he's like, well I know you guys are going to read into it anyway, <laughs> um, and then uh, he was like, but yeah, you probably can read into it, so it was it was interesting to hear him say that because you know we were seeing Nils Hoglander on the first day, and that's kind of what sparked that question. He has not left Bo Horvat's wing since, and he's looked right at home. Bo Horvat's talked about it now, and he feels that Hoglander's NHL ready, and it's just all signs are pointing to this guy starting on Bo Horvat's wing on opening night. So Chris, before I break down the lines that were on the ice today, what were your thoughts on Nils Hoglander this week? Man... <laughs> I've been getting a lot of DMs, okay? Obviously, like, I, I covered Niels Huglander closely for this whole SHL season that he had, every single game that he played in. We broke it down. We kept tracking Corsi of him. He had one of the highest Corsis in the SHL. 
he was he was wasn't putting up crazy numbers, but he was still doing a lot of things that you had to like for sure uh, in a professional league in a league there he was playing in his third season in that professional league. I mean, this is a guy who knew what he was getting coming into his third SHL season. We didn't know what we were getting with him coming over to the NHL ice. And listen, I, like I knew this was going to be a player. I like I knew that he, there was some skills that were going to translate to the NHL level, and I knew that there was going to be a spot for him on the Canucks roster. You know, maybe at some point during the season to get some some action if you need a top six replacement, or maybe even just looking into the 2021-22 season, like bringing in Huglander and Pod Colson at the same time. That would have been excellent. That would have been a lot of fun. I have been blown away with the with the ability, with the skill, with the speed, with almost every single thing from Niels Huglander, aside from the line changes, of course. Still a couple sloppy ones in the scrimmage. We'll get to that uh, later. We'll have to keep an eye on that on Saturday. But every facet of his game, from the passing to the to the shooting to the to the defending to the deking around guys to the de- like actually not getting deep by other guys and just everything that Niels Huglander has done on the ice has looked like one of the better players for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, that's the thing is like, it was interesting because the last time you and I recorded, Chris, I was even saying to you like, it's not even just his offensive ability that's really impressed me. It's just been how tenacious he is on loose pucks and like wins every board battle. And Thomas Drantz described him as a fire hydrant who just comes away with the puck every time. Like he's exactly like that. Like he... It seems every board battle he goes into, no matter how outmatched he is in the size department, he comes away with the puck. And it's really kind of incredible to watch because he, once he has the puck, you can't get it off his stick. Like, he's really good at just dangling, guys, and it's unbelievable. It, it's really cool to watch, and I think people are going to really enjoy watching this kid all season. And I think, you know, we've definitely had the privilege to watch and kind of cover his first week as a Canuck and kind of see what he can do, but... I don't think this guy's leaving Horvat's line anytime soon. We're we're seeing him kind of skate with him the whole time, and I think you know when you take into account that Travis is like, yeah, I need to get my lines ready sooner because we have Edmonton next week. Like this is coming fast, and we don't have any exhibition games. Like we got to be ready to run through a wall, as most Travis Green teams are. So to have the full lineup, like I don't know, like I know you weren't there today. You didn't miss much, like, the the lines were all we could really pull away from it, but it, it's hard to kind of get a gauge on everyone, they're just doing drills, like, the lotto line looks good, shocker, I know, Hoglander and Horvat with Pearson still looks great, the third line's kind of interesting, it's kind of one that we were kind of throwing around a lot, it was Roussel, Gaudet, Vertanen, I think, you know, I think that's a decent third line. I think the Canucks have some work to do in the bottom six, but you know what? What more were you really expecting? And then it's Tyler Mott, Jay Beagle, and Brandon Sutter on the fourth line with Louis Erickson, the extra skater. Interesting thing about this: Zach McEwen wasn't in the line rushes. He was practicing with Group A, but I think he's going to be headed for the taxi squad. I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I don't think it's tough to say because I don't. Like, I don't think he's going to be on the taxi squad necessarily because I'm pretty sure he needs waivers. Does he not? I believe he does. Yeah, he would have to go through waivers. So he's not going to be on the taxi squad, which was just weird that he wasn't really part of the line rushes. But regardless... He makes makes sense as an extra. Yeah, absolutely. Who else are you going to have there? But no, what I'm saying is Louis Louis was an extra, but he was still rotating in. Zach wasn't rotating in. Oh, I heard that he was rot. I heard Louis was rotating with the top six, and McEwen was in the bottom six. No, I had Louis wrote not today. Louis was rotating with the top six the other day, but not not today. So, so McEwen did nothing today at practice. <laughs> no, McEwen. So they were. It, it, that was like the line rushes that I was reading off just now. Okay, when they did like a pretty short like thing with the line rushes, that was it. But yeah, like I guess McEwen was kind of just floating around on every line. Like he was kind of rotating through, except for the the lotto line. That line didn't get broken up. But yeah, like you know there was instances where I guess Louis was with Horvat, and so was McEwen. I guess, but. I don't know, like, it, it was weird to me to see that that McEwen was kind of left out. I, I don't know if he's had the best camp, personally. Like, I think maybe I could see why, but I don't know. Like, to me, he kind of kind of belongs in a spot above Louie, you know what I mean? I just, I don't know. I, yeah. I didn't think I'd see Louie out there. We were kind of talking about it the other day, about how 
I thought he was headed for Utica. I, I don't know how much lo- how much more they're going to put up with. But to his credit, like he started to turn it on a bit since the last time you and I talked. Yeah, no, I, I think that he has. Like, there's been times, even on the second day, he was better than he was on the first day. He had a really bad first day. Uh, didn't really have a great scrimmage. But you're you're bang on with McEwen. I think that you know McEwen. Let's think about what he did in the summer camp. Like, he was excellent at the summer training camp. He was he was all over the ice. He was earning a spot. He gave himself a, a upper hand on Jake Vertanen coming out of that summer camp. Right. I mean that that wasn't a role that he had going into the break in March when we saw the COVID break. Like. He was playing games, but he wasn't over Jake Vertanen in the depth chart. But he earned that spot in summer training camp, and yeah, like he hasn't been bad. I think he's been he's been fine. He's been totally fine for a guy who might play on your fourth line. But the problem is the Canucks have so many guys that are totally fine playing on your fourth line that you kind of need one or two guys to stick out. Otherwise, it's just going to be given to the veterans like Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter. And I mean Tyler Mott, I think has been that guy who stuck out and said, "Okay, this guy needs to be in the lineup," right? Like. I know Tyler Mott just signed the deal and everyone's excited from what he did in the playoffs, but don't get it twisted. Like he was probably still fighting for a roster spot to a certain degree. Like he definitely had the upper hand on a lot of guys, probably Jake for Tannen and Adam got at both of them. I'm pretty sure Mott had a better chance of making the lineup than those two, but like he was still fighting for a spot and I thought he showed well and he earned the reason to be on that fourth line. I just, I haven't seen it from, from a Louis Erickson or Zach McEwen yet. So I just think by default, you know, those roles are being given to the professionals who have been around the NHL for a while, the veterans, and Beagle and Sutter. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I was completely incorrect when I was remembering what was happening today. McEwen was definitely going through the lines. Like, he was an extra forward today. I don't know why I thought he was... Uh, <laughs> thought he was left out of it, but he was there. I was wondering if maybe, you were, if maybe you were thinking about Rafferty. Because, like, Rafferty, I could see having a tough time. Like, who... Like, which guy was Rafferty skating with today? Like, because he was an extra guy. You'll Edler Schmidt, Hughes, Ben, and then Yolevi Myers. So Myers was was swapping out with Rafferty yeah. at times. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So Rafferty was Rafferty was taking some shifts with Yolevi again. Like I I thought Rafferty's had a much better camp than he did in the summer. Uh, I think we were all expecting that, himself included. Um, he talked today. He said he feels confident, and you know he still thinks there's a spot for him, and he thinks there's ice time available. So we'll have to wait and see. But you know, like. I was kind of looking at it, and I think the only way Rafferty gets into the lineup is, like, if a guy like Yolevi goes down or, you know, like, a guy on the left side and they need to split up Edler-Schmidt, right? Like, that's one way that Rafferty gets into the lineup. Or, you know, if, uh, you know, I don't want to say if this injury happens, but, you know, if a guy on the right side even goes down, like, then you still have Yolevi on that side or you have Ben, right? Those are left-handed guys. You can put Rafferty in that spot. So... I don't know, like, there, there's a few ways that I think he ends up here. I don't think he's going to go down to Utica. I think there's a place for him on the taxi squad. Uh, but if I'm being honest, I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if Ben's going to be... Like, it, it's going to be one of Ben or Rafferty that goes to the taxi squad, and one of them is going to be scratched, but... I don't know. I think you can have both of them on your roster. No, because I think... No, I was talking about this with someone today. I have to remember who it is that needs waivers, but there's a reason that it's going to be one of them that goes down. But I don't think it's going to be Rafferty. I think it would be Rafferty just if they, if it's because of the cap concerns. You want to be as close to the cap as possible, right? If you're going to put LTIR going in on Furlan. So Rafferty makes sense to go down and Ben stay up. But then, like, you want a 23-man roster, right? Like, that's what it is. You have a 23-man roster. You have the, the 14 forwards with McEwen and, and Erickson as the extras. Then you would have the seven defensemen. So, no, you can have eight defensemen. Wait, am I doing the math? No, you need seven defensemen. Yeah. So, yeah, that's going to be tough then because then you wonder if, if Erickson goes and you keep two defensemen or do you think that you keep the two forwards and just one defenseman just because you have the taxi squad right there. I think that you might have a few more options to swap in with forwards. Yeah. Like, that's tough. So, yeah, maybe... Well, yeah, maybe Rafferty does go down and they just stay with one. Because I'm the way that I would look at it is thinking that they have one extra forward and that they would have two extra defensemen because that's just the way that a lot of teams like to operate, right? I mean, you want to have backup defensemen if, if mm-hmm. you know stuff hits the fan. You want to be able to bring in defensemen to make sure you have enough to play. So I just that's the way I'm looking at it, but it might actually swap as we go into this COVID year because of the taxi squad. 
Yeah, like, I mean, the, the, the guys on the taxi squad are still going to be there, right? And right. Rafferty doesn't require waivers, just to make that clear for our listeners, okay. because I looked it up while we were listening. Rafferty does not require waivers. Ben does. If somebody claims Ben off waivers, they're doing the Canucks a favor, so I don't think the Canucks <laughs> really have to worry too much about that. But, yeah, like, I was kind of looking at the taxi squad today, and... It was interesting because I was looking at, you know, kind of, okay, who's going to stay and who's going to go. And I was actually talking to Daniel Wagner about this just up in the Encore suite there. We were just talking a little bit. And I don't think there's a spot for Sven Berchi. Like, I think Berchi's headed oh, to Utica. Hell... Yeah, like, yeah, there, there's, well, there's no shot. That, well, that, like, yeah, there's no shot that Berchi's going on that taxi squad. Even they're going to, they have so many other options and they just, they will not play Berchi unless they're absolutely forced their hand upon it due to COVID or other injuries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, that's kind of what I was saying is just, like, I don't think Berchi's had a good enough camp that the coaching staff is like, whoa, we really missed out on this guy. Like, we've really got to put him back here. Like, I just don't think that's the case. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's going to be an interesting one to follow as we see more cuts. I mean, the only one today was Mitch Elliott was sent down to Utica. Uh, Lucas Yasik has been activated, so he'll skate with the B group on the coming days, but maybe we'll get to see him in action tomorrow night. We'll see what happens, but I don't know. It, it was interesting today to see the main roster skate for sure. I thought Ollie Levy continued to look really good. Um, I'm just kind of trying to go through the lineup here. Nate Schmidt's been a pleasant sight. Like he's he's been really good. Uh, you know what do you say about Quinn Hughes? The thing I found interesting, Chris, is Jordy Ben was skating alongside Quinn Hughes today, and. Chatfield was there before, and the coaching staff, management, whoever, was pretty high on Chatfield. Then we saw Rafferty come in, and he wasn't skating alongside Hughes. Instead, it was Ben. But to me, and rightfully so, it looks like Jalen Chatfield's kind of gone out of the running for that spot. Like, you know how before you're talking, okay, it's Yulevi, Rafferty, and Rathbone that are fighting for this spot. And then, oh, there's Jalen Chatfield as well. Like, it looks like Jalen Chatfield's pretty well out of the running for that spot. And again, like Rathbone's had a good camp, but I think the place for him is the taxi squad. Like I think that's where he's going to end up. Um, But when it comes to Hughes, that placeholder spot was where Chatfield is. And now Ben is there placeholder for Hamannick. Hamannick's going to join the team on Sunday. That only gives him one day to get ready because he joins them on Sunday. So there's a practice on Sunday. There's an off day on Monday Then there's a morning skate on Tuesday, and then they travel to Edmonton and get ready for Wednesday night's opener. Is that enough time for Travis Hamannick and Quinn Hughes to get comfortable playing alongside one another, enough to play in a National Hockey League game, especially on opening night against a pretty solid Edmonton team? Well, and to think about it, back-to-back nights, right? Like, they open up with back-to-back against Edmonton in Edmonton. So, you need to say, like, is Hamannick ready to go right now for two games? with this guy and otherwise like you don't want Quinn Hughes playing with Jordy Ben right like that's that's not a thing that you want to have happen in an NHL game you don't want Quinn Hughes to be playing with a Jalen Chatfield in an NHL game the way that they've been doing this seems to be that they've just been a holding a spot for Travis Hamannick so otherwise you know if Hamannick's not ready to go you you really have to wonder what that bottom like we've talked about this defense core how much it changed with the signing of Hamannick if you don't have Hamannick for those first two games you're starting to look at a pretty uh, pretty struggling defense core once again. Like you're you're gonna have to go with Edler Schmidt, Hughes Myers, and then what? You levy Ben? Like is that what you have to go with at that point? Yeah, you I don't just think you shelter, play a, you just yeah, you don't ben play a full game. They're ready. Yeah, you don't play a full game of of Hughes and Ben. So you would probably go with Yulevi and Ben and that line might play similar minutes to what we saw Yulevi when he got into his first game in the playoffs. Like this defense core really depends on having a guy like Hamannick because of because of the fact that he's probably going to play with Hughes, right? Like, I know I said it on last week's episode that I don't really like the idea of that just because I, I like the idea of Hamannick being able to, to slide into a top four if you need a move to be made. Like, I still like the idea of seeing Hughes with Myers and having them being able to be a very offensive group that plays a lot with the Miller-Petterson-Besser line. And I just... I like that pairing together. I thought they put up really good numbers last year when they played together. Normally when the Canucks were trailing, they put them together, right? But that that line, that pairing might might deserve a shot at 5-on-5 five five more often than it did last year. Now that you have the addition of Nate Schmidt to make the Edler pairing much better, 
and then just have your third pairing be a Yolevi and Hamannick. I really think that's a good spot for Yolevi to be in as well. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see how Yolevi plays with Myers because he's going to be relied upon to be the more defensive guy of that pairing. So I, I just think that there's a lot of different things that this defense core can still go with. And I'm still not, like, I'm not 100% sold to say let's put Quinn Hughes with Travis Hamannick. Like, he hasn't played with him at all. Like, he's yep. played with Myers before. You know, like, that's a guy that, that you want to just, you want to put Quinn Hughes in a spot to succeed. And I know that the way that Travis Hamnick plays the game is very similar to Chris Tanev, but the chemistry that Hughes has with Tanev doesn't just automatically translate over to the, the chemistry that Hughes will have with Hamnick. It just doesn't automatically happen like that. Like, these guys, I don't know how much of, of Quinn Hughes Travis Hamnick has watched. I don't know how much, you know, vice versa as well. Like, has Hughes seen a lot of how Hamnick plays? Like, obviously, the Canucks staff and the video group has probably done a lot of work and is going to be able to help him with some things, but chemistry can't be measured in analytics. And just because he's a similar player and puts up similar numbers, uh, I'm talking about Hamnick and Tanev here, doesn't mean that this play is going to translate to the ice exactly. So I think throwing them out to the Wolves after, like you mentioned, one practice and a morning skate, like, that's a tough situation to put your best defenseman, your franchise defenseman in. Well, that's what makes the Hamannick signing so nice. And actually, he hasn't been signed to a contract just yet. But, you know, <laughs> adding Hamannick to the team, that's what makes it so nice is that he can hold hold down a Quinn Hughes pairing or he can hold down an Ollie Levy pairing. Like, there's options here. He can either play on the top pair or he can play on the bottom pair. It, you know, he he can anchor both of those lines. He can hold it down defensively. So, it's interesting because Levy and Myers have seen a lot of time together. To me, they've built some chemistry. They're very vocal with one another. Um, I think they're getting a little more comfortable with each other, which is a very welcome sight. But I wonder what opening night looks like if Hamnick isn't there. To me, Chris, it looks like they're just going to throw Hamnick in because you you would see Myers skating with Hughes more in this training camp. Yeah. If they were starting to think like, okay, like, you know, we are going to have to change it up and it is going to have to be Ben and Yolevi on opening night and it's going to be Hughes Myers on the first two nights or whatever the case is. It's going to be really interesting to see how they go about this because Hamannick's going to be an interesting one to follow because I just, I don't know, like you said, the tr- the chemistry isn't just going to be there right away, right? Or maybe it will, but it's kind of a risk that you're taking, you know? You you expect him to be the partner this season, but is it going to be ready to go on opening night? How huge is it, like, looking at it now from, like, a, a wider perspective, like, how huge is it that the Canucks went out and signed a guy on a PTO who's going to be Quinn Hughes' partner, though? Like, that's a move that, like, people have talked about the Hamnick move a lot, but the fact that Jim Benning was able to go out and get a guy who's going to play with your franchise defenseman like your number one D-man, and get tons of minutes at 5-on-5. The fact that the Canucks went out and got this guy on a PTO, like, I'm not a betting bro or anything, but, like, he should he should really get a lot of props for making this move happen. Oh, absolutely. It, and here's the thing, is it doesn't happen if we're not in COVID times, right? Like, Hamannick signed, like, six months or five months ago if we're in normal, normal off-season mode. But because there's so much uncertainty and everything with owners not wanting to spend and teams not wanting to pick up new players like everything with that like Hamannick would have been signed a long time ago so you know I think you know don't don't build a statue just yet because we don't know how good Hamannick's gonna be but absolutely it's a great depth signing and I think you know I think partly it was because the coaching staff was expressing that they really did need some depth and you're gonna need depth this season it's not like Jim and his staff didn't know that but giving them Hamannick and giving them some extra depth is a very good thing, and you know, depending what the de- the final deal looks like, you know, it, the early returns are that it's a great move, and yeah, I, I don't know how anybody can really look at it and be like, oh, I hate this move. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like you talk about it, like adding depth, but you're you're adding a top pair defenseman the way that he's going to be used. Okay, like, well, you're you're well, adding. Well, you are like pair. you're adding. You are. He's playing on your top pair with Quinn Hughes. But is Quinn Hughes still going to be used in that same role? Like, are they still going to match head to head with Hughes, or are they going to put Schmidt on that line when they need to do that? Like, well, they'll, yeah, they'll they'll definitely use Schmidt if they if they're down and stuff. Like, that's something that they can explore. But who's going to play with your best defenseman? That's your top pairing with your best defenseman, right? Like, unless you're actually making that a much worse pairing by having Hamannick there. Like, you're you're making Hamannick into a top pairing defenseman. 
He might not be that caliber when you look at the player, but the role that he's playing with the Vancouver Canucks now, if he's skating with Quinn Hughes, is a top-pairing defenseman. Yes, but he might not play on the Canucks' top pair. Like, the top pairing might be Edler Schmidt, if we're going on ice time. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I wouldn't call Hamannick a top-pairing defenseman just because he's playing on the top pair. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's just... It's tough to call that the top pair if we don't know what their deployment's going to be like just yet. But that's just my two cents. Yeah, I just I just think that calling him a depth signing when you put him to play with Quinn Hughes and play, you know, probably 16 five-on-five minutes per game, which is a lot. Like, it's, it's making your... You're not making him a depth signing. You're making your own depth created by the roster that you already have. Well, yeah, but like, I didn't say he was a depth signing. I said, I said it added to their depth. It gave them more depth. Right. Which, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess it creates it throughout their own offense, I guess, right? Like that, or with their own roster, I mean. So, like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting situation for sure. And, like, I've, I, like, even just looking at last season, like, Tyler Myers and Alex Edler both played more five on five minutes per game than Quinn Hughes. So, is that technically then making Quinn Hughes a second pair defenseman? Because him and Chris Tanev had less time on ice per game at five on five. So, like, that that could be something very possible with Alex Edler and Nate Schmidt. They could get more five-on-five time. So, yeah, I mean, Hamannick could just be a four, right? At that point, he's a four. So then he is kind of like a guy that they've added to push another player like Tyler Myers now down to your third pairing is huge. I just think that the Hamannick signing, it's, it's bigger than I think even initially looking at it because now that we're at the point right now where we're saying, like, what if they don't have Hamannick for opening night? Like, that makes it a serious problem for the Canucks yeah. defense. Right, and I think it's it's a bigger story than it actually was when we first heard about the Hamnick signing. Now with the situation that the Canucks are put in with this seven day quarantine, yeah, exactly, man. There's so much uncertainty going into the season. I think it'll be so funny because we'll be listening back on this and it's like, oh, that's how they meant to, that's how they were going to solve it. And you know, <laughs> honestly, I think it's a little more likely than people are thinking that Hamnick's just going to be on the line in the lineup on opening night. Like we don't know yeah. what he's doing. He's he's at home. He's quarantining or whatever. You know but what, maybe though? he's just on a treadmill for eight hours a day. Like maybe right, he's just in like, the best shape of his life. Who knows? <laughs> Ten year pro. This guy knows what to do to get ready for for camp and play NHL games. I'm not too worried about it either. Yeah. Um, as we before we close out here and throw to ads, which I'll let you do since you're hosting. But I got a pop quiz for you, quads. Okay. Minimum of 10 games played for the Vancouver Canucks. Who, Which forward led the team in time on ice at 5-on-5? Five five? At 5-on-5, five five, minimum 10 games? That's yeah. A, so that's like, a short minimum. Uh, huh. It's some bum for sure. No, which forward led them in ice time at 5-on-5 yes. five five per game? It's oh, not per, a bum. Game. <laughs> per game. Per sorry, game. Sorry, 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 sorry. Per game, uh, at five on five, uh, Bo Horvat. No, who? He was third. Who's first? I'm not gonna keep guessing. Well, you okay? Fine. It's Tyler Toffoli. Tyler Toffoli. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Tyler well, Toffoli averaged 14 minutes and 43 seconds of five on five ice time in the 10 games, which might be why I made the minimum 10 games. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's so funny. I should have known. <laughs> that should have been, give- been a giveaway for you. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Well, we're gonna cut to break. On the other side of the break, we're going to run a conversation that I had with Brody Schnarr of Owner's Box, who goes over what Owner's Box is, how you can get involved, and Chris, I don't know if you know much about Owner's Box or you've listened to the conversation yet, but I think you and I are going to have to go head-to-head here for the listeners and just kind of see who who's the better fantasy mind in the first week of... Uh, First week of the season here. See who can uh, win. Maybe put some money down on it. But for now, you are listening to the Canucks Conversation. I just want to give a quick shout out to the returning sponsor of the Canucks Conversation podcast. That's Parallel 49 Beer. Back on board for another winter season here. Be sure to check out some of their brand new winter beers that have just come out. The one that is on the shelf right now, and I highly recommend trying, even though I haven't tried it yet. It just sounds really cool. Is a new jelly donut beer that they have coming out. It is already on shelves in BC and Alberta. Go check it out at your closest BC liquor store for all of your British Columbian. It's out there. Be sure to follow them along at 
at Parallel49Beer on all of your social medias. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50, and you can use promo code Hockey Season with a capital H and a capital S, all one word, Hockey Season, to get $5 off your order exclusively for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners. Be sure to join them live on Twitch for epic case break openings. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Zephyr Epic, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Winter is here and hockey is just around the corner. And if there's one thing that goes absolutely perfect with hockey, it's Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's been a classic, obviously, around the ring for people who wanted something to mix it up a little bit from their beers. I know it's a go-to sweet drink for me. And now that they have the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze, it is an absolute game changer. Blue Freeze is the go-to drink for me at a Canucks games or at any gatherings. Once we can get back to those, that would be great. Uh, But for now, go out and try some yourself. The Mike's Hard Blue Freeze is in stores everywhere. You can find it at all liquor stores. So be sure to go out there and try one of the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. Oddshark.com is your source for NHL odds, futures, picks, consensus, and scores. You can find all the latest information, all the latest sports books, and right now on their site, along with all the other wonderful editorial content they have, are the odds to win the 2021 IIHF World Junior Championship, which Chris and I were just talking about. Right now, Canada is the team to beat, with Russia close behind, and the US close behind them, and then there's quite a bit of a gap between Sweden. So if you're looking to make a bet, Chris and I are both going for Russia here. So if you want to put a little money on Russia, you might be able to get some returns turn so definitely go check out oddshark.com all right guys very pleased to be joined now by brody schnarr of the owner's box brody how are you doing good david i'm doing good today how are you good i'm very excited to talk about your your products here owner's box for our listeners who don't know can you just kind of touch on what exactly it is yeah sure and you know thanks for giving me the opportunity to do this um so owner's box is basically a weekly fantasy sports platform um, so what we're kind of trying to do is is take the best elements of both the traditional yearly and daily formats. So when I say yearly, kind of more more the leagues you play with your buddies on Yahoo, um, and daily fantasy is more kind of the DraftKings FanDuel lineup style for one night. Um, so Owner's Box is kind of taking taking the best of both worlds there and making a snake draft format for players to compete over a weekly time frame. So you you. You'd hop into a snake draft, play anywhere between two players up to playing against 16 people total, um, and you would you'd pick a team. And you know, like I said, it's uh, it's a snake draft, so you're going back and forth trying to fill out your lineup with the best 10 players available. Um, and kind of the unique thing that we do and I offer with the weekly platform is your players are playing throughout the week, so you have options as a manager on what you choose to do and not to do, and. Uh, who you play, who you don't play, who you decide to start and sit out of your players, um, and who you decide to maybe add or drop as the week goes on. So, you know, if you if you have an injury early in the week, you can drop that player no problem, pick up someone else and it's not gonna it's not gonna ruin you like it would in daily or, you know, if you did an early draft in year long formats and picked uh Kucherov, for example, you're not gonna be you're not gonna be screwed. So that's one of the advantages that we offer in our style, but just trying to give players in this space a new way to experience fantasy sports and give them a new product with new opportunities. That sounds fantastic. And I think Faber and I are going to have to go head to head because we're very competitive. And I think we're going to have to try and see who can put together a better team on week one. So on week one, Brody, who are you taking personally with the first pick if you have it? Well, this might be a little biased on my end, um, and you might not like this big Leaf fan over here. So I, I don't think you can go wrong with Austin Matthews. I mean, I mean that power play is looking good so far in the uh, in the training camp. They've got Dumbo Joe on that first line. I'd be inclined to go a little bit off the board and go with Matthews. Maybe I'm hoping for that, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, so I can get him there. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely riding with my boy Austin on that one. I definitely don't hate that pick, but I know a lot of our listeners will. So I'll give you a chance to redeem yourself. If you're looking at sleeper picks, is there anybody who's kind of caught your attention that you'd be taking? Well, I'll go for some uh, brownie points here with, uh, with uh, I don't know if it's your backup. I don't know if it's your starter. It looks like you guys might be doing a little 50-50 rotation off the start, but that's your Demko. From what I saw kind of late in the year last year, an emerging goalie, a guy that's trying to prove himself going to have plenty of opportunities certainly with the way the schedule is looking this year there's going to be tons of back-to-backs which means you know 
we're going to see more of the tandem style that's kind of been happening in recent years. So in terms of goalies, I go with Demko as a, as an early, early kind of surpriser. Other than that, there's tons of guys. I think, again, maybe my least, least bias showing through, but Kasperi Kapman's another guy that he's getting that spot with Crosby. And I mean, you've seen Crosby turn his wingers into gold year after year. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kapman, I know it's a shortened season, but puts up, puts up what would be, you know, a 30 goal pace over those 82 games, mm-hmm. over an 82 game sample. Yeah, Kapanen's an interesting one, actually. That's kind of a name I hadn't really thought of, but now that you mention it, yeah, like I think we're going to see something similar to what we saw with Gensel, and, you know, the list goes on. Connor Sherry, all these people who've gone to Pittsburgh, played with Crosby, and just excelled, and I think Kapanen's going to be one of those players. Now, Brody, for our listeners, how can they get involved with Owner's Box? So, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy. We have an app. If you search up Owner's Box on the app stores, um, also ownersbox.com, you can... You can check us out. You can sign up. We have some uh, holiday promos going on right now. So once you get onto our website and you verify yourself, you get $5 in your account, which is a great way to kind of start um, play with house money so that you can kind of get get your feet wet, understand the product, understand what we're doing, see if you like it. And then also in terms of that holiday promo I mentioned, um, we match up to $500 on your first deposit and site credit. So um, lots of options to get on. As you mentioned, you can play buddies, you can sign up with buddies, you can set up custom matchups with them. So it's not, you can play against anyone and anyone, but if you want to play your buddies and kind of get bragging rights early on in the year, um, you can do that as well on our platform. Brody, good stuff. Thanks a lot for doing this. Yeah, thanks a lot for the time. I really appreciate it. Go Leafs. And a huge thank you to Brody Schnarr of Owner's Box for joining us and all of our sponsors as well. Chris, we're going to have to do some fantasy hockey. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm down. I'm in one fantasy hockey league, but uh, that's just with some of my boys from back on the island. And, like, I can't uh, – it's so hard to invest the time into it because it's like, oh, it's not a lot of time, but it's something that you – like, if you want to actually pay attention to it, you got to do it every day. Uh, you know, so some of those fantasy leagues are a little bit tough for me. But I do like uh, what Owner's Box is throwing at us. It's definitely uh, piqued my interest for sure, and uh, it's kind of fun to partner up a little bit with them and see what they're all about. Well, that's the thing is, like, you only have to play one week with Owner's Box. You know what Which I mean? And nice. it's like yeah. you, you draft a team for a week. I can pay attention for a week. I start losing I start losing interest in, like, <laughs> you know, losing, you know, stop checking the app and stop setting my lineup maybe, like, a month or two into it. So I actually haven't done any fantasy leagues, but I think Owner's Box is going to be something I have to give a look. So maybe I'll go check it out. Brody's a, Brody's a Leafs fan, and he's going to be joining us Ugh. a few times. So, uh yeah, I'm sure that'll be a great relationship going forward. It'll be a lot of fun to keep talking to him. He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm wondering how high uh, how high Niels Huglander goes in a lot of fantasy drafts. You know, Canucks fans have a little bit of inside information. Maybe get some Roussel. time on some time on power play two as well. Like, did uh, yeah. I didn't see that come out today on Twitter? Maybe I just you know I was actually in class and doing work and stuff. But was uh, was there a second power play group out there? Because I didn't see anybody tweeting about it. So, the second power play group, it was really weird. It was like, actually, hold on, I gotta look at the list, because it wasn't power play guys. Like, Louis Erickson was out there, okay? Okay. So yeah, say no more, not, say no more. Yeah, so he's not gonna be there. But what was interesting is Adam Gaudet and Jake Furtanen, two guys who we know have power play prowess, were on the penalty kill. And I think it was, you know, it makes sense, right? Like, they want these guys to start to be able to kill penalties. Like, we know that Adam got out was sent video over the summer of penalty killing by the coaching staff and was told to kind of take a look at it and, you know, get to work on it a little bit. So, he looked fine out there. Vertanen, Green talked about a bit today. He said, you know, with Jake's speed, we're hoping he can turn into a good penalty killer. We'll see. Uh, he skated alongside Jay Beagle today. Uh, you know, not too much to comment on that. And then the defense pairings, like it made sense. Like, you know, Schmidt, Ben and Yulevi were, Ben and Yulevi were switching out and killing with Schmidt. It's going to make sense. Schmidt's going to have to kill penalties, I think, for this team, uh, especially until Hamannick gets there. Uh, but I do think we're going to see Schmidt killing a lot of penalties this season. Same with Yulevi. I yeah. think we're going to see that. But, you know, the, that's a guy on Schmidt who they know can play on the power play, but you know, isn't getting any time. So same thing with Myers. Like he wasn't with the PP two group. Uh, he was instead killing penalties alongside Alex Edler. And again, like maybe it's not Schmidt right away. Maybe it's Myers that opens up on the penalty or sorry, the power play group, because you know, we saw it with Quinn Hughes, like 
Green was reluctant to put Quinn Hughes on PP1. He had him on PP2 for a long time. So maybe he's a little reluctant with Schmidt and just wants to ease him into the power play role. But we'll see what happens. I don't think it's going to be long before we see Schmidt on the second power play unit. But I think there is some value for sure in Schmidt, uh, you know, Schmidt getting some reps with that second group. And again, same with Godet and Vertanen. You've got Hoglander on there as well. Like Hoglander was on. Uh, on the second power play unit, but again, so was Tyler Mott, so was Louis Erickson, and so was Zach McEwen. So do with it what you will. But I think what we're realistically going to see is Nils Hoglander, Adam Gaudet, Jake Vertanen, and then, you know, Schmidt back there as well, and maybe Schmidt and Myers. We'll see what happens. But yeah, don't read too much into the second power play group today. Would you would you rather see Schmidt killing penalties or Yolevi killing penalties? Uh, probably Yolevi, because then Schmidt can play more 5-on-5 in power play time. But, yeah. we haven't seen Yolevi kill penalties at the NHL level. We know Schmidt can do it. So, maybe, for now I'll say Yolevi, until proven otherwise. I think, I think Yolevi has proven enough at the AHL level that that's his best skill that he brings to an NHL roster, is his penalty killing ability. I think that's, but, that's where you need to have Yolevi play. Look, you've watched more of them than I have at the AHL level, but I'm just saying, like, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid don't play in the AHL. And that's who's going to be playing on the power play in the first two games Yulevi plays. So, I don't know. Like, I, I need to see it first before I just say, okay, yeah, like, that's what that's where he belongs right now. I, I He might have to get eased into it. Maybe he goes against a bit of a weaker power play like Montreal, who they're, they're going to play later on. Uh, maybe even Calgary. I don't know. But all I know is Edmonton's one of the best power plays in the league, and just kind of experimenting with him on opening night might not be the best idea. Yeah, I think, I mean, putting him out on the second group, I think is is completely fine. And I just love the idea. Like, I am so attached to the idea of you kill off a penalty, you send out Hugh Schmidt. Like, you do that every single time. You do that every single time. It's an absolute swing of momentum in a hockey game. To put out, like... That's why I like. I think what they were working on today was penalty killing. It wasn't power play, but it makes sense that they had the first power play unit out there because none of those guys kill penalties, right? Like Miller, Patterson, Besser, Horvat, Hughes, they're not going to kill penalties. That's why well, they were probably out there. It seemed like more of a shorthanded work today. The for the second power play unit, yes, that was yeah, that was that was more penalty killing. But for the PP one group, no, it was all penalty. It was all power play. Like the penalty kill guys were just there. I don't know if they were told like not to touch the puck. But okay. they were they were not being they were not killing the penalty very well. Let's just say that that was yeah like you know and maybe that was just because the PP one group is so good. But yeah, like the PP one group was definitely a power play practice. Um, I don't know. Maybe the PK guys were just trying to fill lanes and work on that. But yeah, the PP one group looked dominant. And then PP two, I don't know. Again, don't read too much into that. Yeah, I think that just looking at the penalty killers, I'd actually be more worried about Tyler Myers than Ole Levy. And Tyler Myers is one of the top penalty killers. Well, he was third in penalty killing minutes for the Canucks last year. Like, I'd be more worried about him just because I think that his way that he defends on on a power play is his one of his weaker points of defending. Like, I think Myers actually isn't that bad on transition offense. Like, I think he's fine at defending a guy coming down the wing. But I think that when he's stationary, like that's where Yolevi's at his best. When Yolevi is stationary, that's where he's at his best. That's where he's going to be on the power play. I think the only, or sorry, on the penalty kill. And I just think that the only thing that might worry me a little bit, and actually, no, it doesn't really, because like Yolevi's a, like, he's relatively strong and he's not small. Like, I think a lot of people think of him as like a skinny little guy. Like, he's a thick boy. Like, two C's on the thick. Like, he's, he's a big, big Finnish boy who's strong. Like, he's a strong guy if he's able to stay healthy for sure. But I, I just think that that's where his defending is going to be at his best in a stationary area like you're going to see on the penalty kill. That's why I, like, I, I know I'm in love with the idea of Hugh Schmidt after every penalty kill, but I'm also, like, almost in love with the idea that Levy's best asset to bring this Canucks team is being a penalty kill on number two group that blocks a lot of shots, blocks a lot of passing lanes. I just, I'm not worried about Yolevi in that situation. I'm worried about Yolevi in a lot of situations. Like, you mentioned it, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. When they're coming down the wing on Yolevi, I am worried about a lot of things with Yolevi in that situation. Or even, you know, other situations where he might be put into traveling around in the defensive zone more. But when he's stationary, like, I'm not worried about that with Ole Yolevi. That's why I think he, he should be on that penalty killing group. And I, with Myers and Schmidt, it's like, you know, the, the 
the just like the pros outweigh the cons so much just having Myers there instead. Schmidt's probably a better penalty killer than Tyler Myers. Like I'm pretty confident saying that. But man, like I'm going right back to it, but like you finish a penalty kill, you put out the lotto line with Hughes and Schmidt. Uh, just like the first time they score that goal, I don't know. I don't know what I'm shotgunning, but I got to shotgun something, I guess. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm I don't know. I I'm really curious to see tomorrow. Because tomorrow's scrimmage, I think, Chris, will really, really be telling because I almost wonder if they at some point are like, okay, someone take a penalty or just put somebody in the box well, so that the first unit can get some work. You know what I mean? Well, but Well, you know what they the did last is, time? Like at summer yeah. camp, they did that. They did, uh, I think at the 10-minute mark, they paused it. They would give one team a power play and then they would give the other team a power play. Or like it was every period a team got a power play opportunity to score. And it just, like, that's how it was kind of, like, included to the scrimmage. I really wouldn't be surprised if we see that on Saturday night. But the only thing is, and it's really interesting, is Horvat and... Horvat's not going to be on the first unit. Because most of the first unit personnel plays for Group A or Group B um, is split up as well. Like, like Hughes is on Horvat's team and Pedersen is not. So, I don't know, like... You, well, it's almost they, like you can't really get the proper the proper practice in for the power play unit in a game like situation if they're all split up but then again you can't just load up one team either well that's what they did last year or in the summer they just swapped jerseys when they transitioned to the power play portion of the period one team oh, got a power good. play then the other team got a power so it's like you know like yeah you're not really like Horvat's helping the other team when he when he hops onto the power play unit and I don't even think they counted the goals but it was kind of just like in the middle of the scrimmage let's get some power play and PK action and it was okay, like you know that makes sense. the Tyler Mott's and the Jay Beagles put on a white jersey you just have a break in the middle of the period where you do some special teams and then you go from there so the other thing that's that's interesting was we we heard that there was a lot of special teams work on Wednesday the day that they had the scrimmage and you know media wasn't in the building that time we won't be in the building Saturday morning so I would I would suspect that there's going to be a lot of special teams work done on Saturday morning as well yeah you're probably right actually okay so let's let's break down a second power play unit like let's let's break it down because there's a lot of possibilities here well like I said like Hoglander got it for Tannen or your forwards and then I'm going to say Meyer Schmidt is your defense Ooh, so you're going with two, yeah? Because it's like, it's like what other forward is Pearson get used? Maybe instead of instead of Myers. Maybe you know, I don't. Does even Pearson think... be the net front presence? He was last year on the second unit. Yeah, I think. Yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, I I, I think just, they're going to yeah. put Hoglander there. To be honest with you, like oh. I think Hoglander is going to be on the power play for sure. I think Huglander rocks that right side. I think they put Goddard on the left side. I think they put Jake in the bumper, and I think they put Pearson in front. And then I think they have Schmidt on the point, like. I like that. I like that a lot. You know, Pearson's sitting there until yeah. Pod Colson gets here, and then Pod Colson goes to that net front presence on the second unit. You're talking about two units that can score goals at will at that point. Like you're talking. Yeah, you know I what? know that this is one of the things that the Canucks really have going for them for the next handful of years. Both power play units are going to be excellent. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I didn't even think of that. Like, yeah, wow. How how awesome is it for the Canucks to have Hoglander and Pod Colson both on ELCs for the next three years? Like, that's Ooh. massive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, well, here's the thing is I, I've been thinking about this a little more. And kind of with the power play formations, like, I'm really interested to see kind of what the what the game plan is in the scrimmages, you know, like you just mentioned it, like stopping in the middle of play, but does the second, second unit still get time in that? Cause I don't, I don't even remember this, them stopping at the summer camp. Like, I don't remember, but I'll take your word for it. But like, does the second unit even get a chance then? Yeah, I think it was, it kind of like rotated. It even rotated on the ice. If I'm correct here, it went from, you know, one, one team shooting on one goalie. Then it went to the second unit shooting on the other goalie with a different penalty kill group. And I think they were, you know what? I think they were changing actually. Like now that I think about it more, wow. it was like a full game play. Like it was, the game was being played with them. I think it was just like a four minute period where it was just power play versus penalty kill. And they were rotating and changing and everything if I'm right here. And yeah, it was just a wow. Jersey swap at one point because the reason I remember this so much is because at summer training camp, Jake for Tannen didn't get to put on a power play shirt at the time. 
Like I remember them. I remember specifically mm. tweeting out like Jake Vertanen was not switching jerseys into a power play color at the time, and he just sat there the whole time while they did penalty kill and power play. He didn't do anything, and that was like another one of these bad things at Jake Vertanen's camp. Yeah. Okay. So. This is starting. Yep. Yeah, I'm starting to remember exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Wow. So I mean, it's Holy a possibility cow. for Saturday, right? Yeah, it is. It is. I'm just. I'm almost like. I don't know. Like I wish we could. Well, I mean, we are going to record on Saturday after it, so it's going to be two back-to-back really quick episodes here. But I I wish we knew exactly what was going to happen, you know? Because I, I don't want to comment too much on the scrimmage that hasn't happened yet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah, appreciate you guys making it this far. Quads just dropped a little tidbit there. Yeah, bonus episode coming. Uh, as soon as the scrimmage is over, we'll record and, and post it, similar to what we did on Wednesday. So, bonus episode coming your way, people, just so when's, you know. When's this episode getting posted? Friday night? Saturday morning. So, we're going to give people two episodes within the span of, like, eight hours? Well, no, it'll be up at 5 a.m. on Saturday. I know, but people aren't going to listen to it till like, the afternoon. Yeah, right. No way, man. You know, you know how many people listen to this, our past episode, before, I think it was before 10 a.m.? I think we had 400 listeners before 10 a.m. Like, thank you so much to everybody who tuned in and all the new listeners as well that we've been getting. Yeah, that's been cool. That's been cool. We've seen a lot of new listeners. That's cool. Most definitely. Yeah, it's been awesome to see. Okay, the last thing that I wanted, I don't know if you have more stuff to talk about, but yeah, go ahead. You're hosting. I have one more thing. You go ahead. I have literally nothing to add. I want to talk about goaltenders, but you won't let me. No, we're not doing that. You can go on In Goal Magazine's podcast. Um, <laughs> we uh, The one thing I want to talk about before we get to a prospects report is looking at the second group and seeing Jack Rathbone there. Um, you know, We both had really high hopes for Jack Rathbone. I think that the way things shook down, like this is why I thought that Rathbone was making the team was because I didn't think that Hamannick was going to be with Hughes. I thought Hughes was going to be with Myers. That's how I thought it was going to happen, and I thought it made a lot more sense to have Jack Rathbone play with Hamannick instead of Yolevi with Hamannick just because the potential is there for for Rathbone to really be something special and do a lot of special things on the ice offensively for the Canucks. Pairing him up with a guy like Hamannick just made a lot of sense to me because if you had Chris Tanev here last year and if they're similar players, I would be strapping Rathbone with, with Tanev. So, you know, the new Tanev, Travis Hamannick, uh, he should he should be playing, I think, with Jack Rathbone if you're going to bring Rathbone in. But, you know, if you're leaning on Yolevi and Yolevi's your guy, like Jim Benning obviously really likes Yolevi, really wants to get him in the lineup so it doesn't look like his draft pick was a bust, uh, you know, four or five years ago, whenever the hell that draft was. So, I, I you know, with Yolevi in the lineup, it changes things and that kind of puts Hamannick there. So, seeing him on that second unit, what did you really think? Like, he must have been sticking out pretty hard on the second group. I mean, the kid's... Kid's extremely talented and sticks out and drills pretty hard. Who are you talking about, Rathbone? Yeah. He wasn't on the second unit. Second group, like practice. Oh, sorry, I thought you were second unit power play. Yeah, I mean, they were just doing drills. He he still sticks out as one of the best prospects at this camp, not named Nils Hoglander. I know he's been getting all the love. But yeah, Rathbone, it's no secret. He's an elite skater. He's really good with the puck. He's got to work on some things when it comes to defending, and he knows that. So I don't think he's that far off. Like People shouldn't be disappointed with Jack Rathbone, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, because... He's going to be very good, and I think once Alex Edler departs, he's going to be a guy who can just step in and be helpful right away. I don't think there's... I Honestly, I think this may be Alex Edler's last season as a Canuck. We'll see, but it is a contract year. Maybe he just turns it on. Who knows? Damn. You know what uh, note I think we should do? Since we told people we're putting out the episode after the scrimmage, I think we should have some homework, Quads. Are you up? Uh, are you up for some homework if I give you some? Not really, but let's hear I, it. I'm giving it to myself as well. So we're giving. I'm giving both of us homework. Yeah, yeah. I think okay, we should. I think we should make our 23 man roster and six man taxi squad, and we should talk about it tomorrow on the bonus episode. Yeah, I'm down. Let's do that. We'll let's do put that. it together tomorrow uh, while we're both at the scrimmage there, and let's uh, yes. let's do it on the podcast. Yes, absolutely. Sounds good. Okay. Um, so prospects report. Uh, Vasily Podkolzin back in Russia. He didn't. Um, he left Moscow pretty much immediately. Didn't even stay to do media with the Russian team. He went right back to Ska in Saint Petersburg uh, to get back with his team. He's in action on Sunday, Sunday morning at six a.m. against CSKA. Big rivalry between those two teams. I'm wondering what Ska wants to do with Vasily Podkolzin now that he's come back from World Juniors and you know really won over a lot of people. I think that. I like I we saw what Vasily Podkolzin was doing as Canucks fans and we're like wow look at this guy you know what a leader 
I don't, I'm wondering what the Russians thought about Vasily Podkolzin being like that type of leader on the bench, you know, screaming at his teammates, making everyone try and follow him. Like, I wonder what the, the view on Podkolzin was after that World Juniors, even though they didn't come up to a, a medal finish. Um, so that's going to be kind of interesting to see him on Sunday, what kind of action he gets. You know, is he back to four or five minutes a game? That would suck. Uh, and then Aiden McDonough with a big game, big two games this weekend against Merrimack, one of their teams that they rival against uh, with Northeastern. They're going to get Devin Levi back, their goaltender for Northeastern, who uh, just won silver medal with Canada. Tough loss to the USA, by the way. Um, but they're going to get him back, and Aiden McDonough has been off to a great start so far. Doubleheader against Merrimack, where he put up four points in two games last time they had a two-game set against them. So keep an eye on Aiden McDonough this weekend. Uh, I know I will for sure. And and um, and that's it. That's all I got for a prospects report. You know what I'm gonna I'm gonna miss some prospect sports quads. What am I gonna miss? What, what do you think? No, what? I'm gonna miss Neil's Huglander. I'm gonna miss the Huglander reports. Like I was, those are one of my favorite ones and and better games to wake up for because they were always at 10 a.m. It was so nice. Like now I got Pod Colson on Sunday morning. I'm gonna be posting the podcast at 5 a.m. and then going to the Vasily Pod Colson game at 6 a.m. It's brutal. Well, now Hoglander's games are going to be at 7 p.m. and he's going to be in a top six instead of on the third line. So, Boom. I'm done. Finish the episode. There you go. All right. For Chris Faber, my name is Dave Quadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to the Canucks Conversation.